The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. All right, it's our third week in our three parts sermon series on forgiveness. If you weren't here the last two weeks with us, the first weekend I spoke about um, how we have this massive debt of sin that we've created on our own uh, against uh, uh, us towards God. But God, in his love and mercy for us, forgave that massive debt of sin that we owe because of Jesus' perfect life, his sacrifice, his death on a cross, his resurrection. We are free from that debt. Sins paid in full. Amen? Because of that, we can forgive one another. Second weekend, last week, Pastor Joe talked about how we forgive ourselves. And really, I love the way this phrase he put it. You don't have to try to forgive yourself because yourself has been already been forgiven. Had a couple of my verbs messed up there, but that's all right. right? So, brings us to today. And as a follower of Jesus, how is it that that we uh, begin to live a life of forgiveness? I don't know about you, but can we just say this right up front and admit it? That on a daily basis, forgiveness doesn't come easy. Does it? It doesn't. I mean, our own sinfulness, the devil, I mean, they put up roadblocks to our trying to be forgiving people. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand about this, but anyone care to confess how much your blood starts to boil when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Right? Or how about somebody just riding your tail? If you're like me, you know, I just want to go two miles under the speed limit just because I can, you know, and then just to, to get back and, and to frustrate them. That's, that's my, like, oh, right? Okay, so uh, the world around us, whether it's movies or music or television or video games, the truth is this, that we live in a culture of revenge and not forgiveness, I mean, we like retribution. We like paybacks because paybacks are H-E double hockey sticks, right? I mean, violence, it's all around. I mean, if you watch any kind of movie, right, sometimes you don't know who the bad guy is, who the good guy is, because in the end, the bad guy winds up dying in a hail of gunfire or however else. You know, when I was growing up playing video games, I mean, my video games, and I'm going to date myself, right, Asteroids, Centipede, Pac-Man, Galaga, I mean, I was going up against aliens, right? But today's video gaming world, billion-dollar industry, I mean, it begins and it's designed to fuel our, fi- our fire and anger and incite revenge, not against aliens, but against people. See, the designers, they know this. I mean, when you crush an enemy, there's something that feels satisfying that happens in you. And in fact, a chemical in your brain is released that causes like this, this happy state, this of euphoria. And whether it's intended or not, the message that it's okay to get revenge, that you can kill without consequences, I mean, that's, that's the message, isn't it? That revenge is fun. I was flabbergasted about a year ago. I was in an indoor soccer place because that's kind of my third home besides church and home, right? That's the, the subculture my family lives in. I was flabbergasted when this eight-year-old boy comes running in with a soccer bottle, bottle or soccer ball and water bottle running into this other teammate of his, you know, this high, right? And he starts to scream, I found another way I could kill somebody on this video game. I'm like, what? 
did he just say? I mean, what kind of culture do we live in? I was just so sad when I heard that, that he found another way to kill somebody. I thought, when this guy grows up, what's it? Now, I don't know if you, bought, you heard this three years ago, uh, three years ago or so in Livonia. Did you hear about that referee that got sucker punched in a, in a men's league game? Went into a coma and then he died. The, the other referee, I knew this guy. Not the referee that died, but the other referee. I don't see him around much anymore. And what has our culture become? We're far from living in a culture of forgiveness. It is a culture of, of revenge. And as a follower of Jesus, you know there's a better way, right? There's a better way. God's word says it. What's the opposite of revenge? It's forgiveness. The power of God's grace and his compassion and his love, I mean, it, it just it helps us overcome any of the junk that's thrown at us, doesn't it? And forgiveness extends just beyond the church or the family, but it goes into the workplace, in the school, into our culture, because God's word says forgiveness is the reaction he wants, not revenge. So I want you to open up your Bibles, please. Ephesians chapter 4, page 1821. And as St. Paul writes these words, he's writing to a group of new Christians, and he's, he's, he's teaching, but he's not only teaching, he's actually commanding. He's commanding and insisting, this is how we live as God's children of light. Light in a dark world. Beginning in verse 17, St. Paul says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Skip to verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the New self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Malice just means intention to do evil. He says get rid of that and be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. This little passage of Scripture is just as relevant in our society that was in, as in Paul's society, isn't it? Just as relevant. Verse 17, Paul insists, don't live like the world. Don't live with a hardened heart, he says. Verse 18, and I love this because this is what our church believes about what Scripture says, that we are sinner and saint at the same time. We're sinner and saint. Because what does that old self do? It clings to us, right? And it gets corrupted by evil desires. But, but the Lord says, put on the new self. And we get to do that on a daily basis. So you come to church and you say, let's get rid of that old. Let's put on the new. And you do that when you wake up. You remember whose you are and who you are truly filled with righteousness and holiness. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're talking about this forgiveness as we are in these last three weeks, I just want to let you know that it is the chief work of God in a Christian's life. 
Forgiveness is God's gift to us. It's really the, the primary instrument of God work in reconciliation in us. It means just a restoration of relationship between us and a holy God. It's God's work first. Forgiveness then is also a treasure though. It's a treasure that we have that we could extend and give to other people. It's a gift. It's a treasure. And this is something that we can't do on our own. It's something that only God can do through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Forgiveness, what it does, it helps us keep life and circumstances in perspective. I mean, let's face it. Do people do wrong things to you? Do they? Of course they do. Sin really messes things up, doesn't it? I mean, others cause us pain all the time. But God is with us. And so what I'd like to do is talk about how we might be able to continue to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. But the first thing we have to do is kind of outline the misconceptions of forgiveness. So what I'd want to do is just say what forgiveness is not. If you notice in your, your, your message outline, I have my second time in a row, my message here, I have fill in the blanks. Wow. Got a lot of good feedback from that. I'm not saying I'm going to do it all the time, but, you know, two in a row. There we go. Forgiveness, first of all, is not a position of weakness. It's not. It's not like you have this big L slapped on your forehead, loser. That's not what it means at all. It doesn't mean that you compromised everything or that you completely give up on, on whatever it is that you wanted. No, that's not what it means. Actually, to forgive means that you're strong. It does. Not weak. It means you're strong. It means you're willing to lift the burden of pain and guilt off your shoulders and another one and carry it to God. Just as Jesus lifted the burden and the sin off of you and took it to the cross. And there are powerful words that mature Christians, when I first you know, started studying the Bible as a, as a young guy, 20, 19, 20 years old, and I would hear people say these kinds of things when, when they've been wronged, when they've been sinned against. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Have you heard that? Leave it at the foot of, or leave it at the altar. I mean, those are powerful, strong words. It's not weakness at all. Forgiveness doesn't invalidate the pain. No way. It doesn't. Forgiveness gives us actually permission to acknowledge how badly we've been hurt and gives us the opportunity to speak to our mistakes, our abusive past, our addictions, our impulsive actions. Forgiveness opens the way to change our life, and it offers freedom. That's why we have these forgiven, right, with these chains. I mean, it's, it's freedom. Forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. Did you know that reconciliation and forgiveness aren't the same thing? They're not. They're two different concepts. Reconciliation is the full restoration of a relationship. Forgiveness, though, is forgiving someone's wrongs against you. See, reconciliation is the goal after forgiveness. But there are times when the person who hurt you is unrepentant, or they're gone, or they died, or whatever it is, and you can't have that true reconciliation. So what do you do in that case? You pray for peace in those situations. Forgiveness is not easy. We established that in the very beginning. It's not easy, far from it, because we have to deal with our own pride, right? 
We have to deal with what Satan wants to tempt us with. We have to deal with pain. I mean, Satan and the world wants you to think there is no way you could possibly forgive that person. No way. It's too hard. But what do we know about who our God is? With God, nothing is what? Impossible. Nothing is impossible. And I realize in a room like this, where there's a wide range of ways that you have been sinned against. And when we first started this message series, right, some of you could relate. How many times do I have to forgive this person? 70 times 7, 490? Which means, yeah, we live a lifestyle of forgiveness. We keep on forgiving. I realize that. And maybe some of you have tried really hard to forgive and you don't feel that you're successful at it. So if I were to stand up here, to, uh, here and just say, you know what, you just need to forgive and forget because that's what Jesus does for you. The end, goodbye. I mean, that would be pretty simplistic, wouldn't it? And idealistic and really an impossible demand. So many of us, we spend a lifetime, maybe, trying really hard to forget the sins committed against us so that we could then forgive But here's the thing, forgetting and forgiving, it's a misconception about forgiveness. The problem with that is if you try to forget, you try to forgive and you try to forget, or you try try to forget, then you can forgive. That idea is, is, is a misconception because really what you're thinking is, you know what? The only way that sin is going to be forgiven is if I forget it. But that's not what God's word tells us. You see, if we buy into that premise that forgiveness is based upon our ability to actually forget we're doomed. How do I know? Well, there's a psychological experiment that uh, was done by some participants, and here's what happened. One set of participants were instructed, okay, don't think about a white bear. Okay, just don't think about it. And the other set of participants said, we're, we're instructed, think about a white bear. Who thought about the white bear more? The people who didn't, who said, don't try to think about a white bear. That's the issue with us and sin, too. When you hear somebody say, you know what, you just need to forget about it. Forget about that sin. Guess what's going to happen? We're going to think about it more and more. I mean, the harder we try not to think about it, the easier it is for us to get angry and become bitter, and and, and it consumes us. We fixate on it, and guess what? We're moving farther away from forgiveness than we are moving closer towards it. And psychologists call this, when we try not to think about the sin that's committed against us, they call it rumination. Rumination is when we try not to think about the sin that was committed against us. We fixate on it, though. We think negative thoughts. It goes over and over in our minds, and sometimes we add things that are false in it. We ruminate. And guess what? Rumination's been correlated to depression and anxiety and almost always results in unforgiveness. And so psychologists say, you know what? Here's how we solve this, these ruminating thoughts. We need to interrupt those thoughts. But in spiritual terms, really, What needs to be interrupted is the unforgiveness. So if we buy into that concept that we must first forget so that we can accomplish forgiveness, that's actually not true. So some of you might be thinking, well, doesn't God 
forgive and forget? I mean, doesn't the scripture say it in Isaiah, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, I'll remember your sins no more. Passages like Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So when you hear a passage like that, is God really able to forget something? I mean, does he get divine amnesia? No, not at all. It's not that God forgets something or erases it from his memory. It's that God will never call our sins to mind or bring them up again. They're paid in full, so why do we have to talk about it anymore? You see, God sees us differently. He sees us as holy and righteous and forgiven because of Jesus. Years ago, I heard this. God looks at you cross-eyed. Not like, you know, try to cross your eyes, but cross-eyed through the eyes of the cross. God sees you differently. He does. He sees you as holy and perfect and his child. And so the psalmist, he writes in Psalm 24, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways according to your love. Remember me. You see, he's asking God to think about not his past, but by his love. He's humbly requesting God, focus on that. When you look at me, focus on that. When God forgives us, he chooses to look at us differently. He doesn't focus on the sin that separates and sin that causes us to be separate in hell, right? But he says, I'm going to look at Jesus. And through the eyes of the cross, I'm going to look at you differently. Just like we saw in Psalm 103, for as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sin from you. In the same way, then, that we receive that forgiveness from God, we extend it to one another. We can't completely forget, but here's what we can do. Forgiveness means remembering the sin differently. Forgiveness really ends that rumination. We remember the sin differently, and we say, I'm not going to bring it up again. In our relationship, that's not what I'm going to do. When we remember the incident, we think of it differently because we see the other person through the eyes of the cross too. Amen? Forgiveness says, because I appreciate my forgiveness won by Jesus, I choose not to bring your sin up against you. Forgive as Christ forgave. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Forgive as Christ forgave. As we strive to be then forgivers, as God commands in his word, we can't just think of the times that we are wronged. But what about those times when we wrong another person? You want to put that other screen up there. Forgiveness means remembering. Back up. There we go. Forgiveness means remembering the sin differently. To not bring up the wrongs. And then this. When we wrong someone... We have to think about that aspect of it, too. I mean, I know you don't think, maybe you do, I don't know. Uh, but when you wake up in the morning, you know, do you think, you know what? When I wake up this morning, I'm going to plan to hurt somebody. Do you think that? No, not at all. But the ugliness inside, right, it rears its ugly head, doesn't it? Our sinful thoughts, our secret sins, they kind of bleed out. So living a lifestyle forgiveness means this. When we sin, and we all do, we ask for forgiveness. That's what we do. 
So let me ask you, have you spoken words that deeply hurt a loved one? I have. Have you? Did, did your action cause somebody injury? Have you intentionally destroyed someone's reputation with your words or maybe you destroyed their stuff, their material possessions because of rage? What pops into your head when I ask the question, what do you need forgiveness for? See, it just, each one of us is going to have something different, right? We are. And those roadblocks to not confessing, when we don't confess, well, pride is the issue, selfishness is an issue, unwillingness to admit we're wrong is an issue. But yet forgiveness allows us to confront our past junk that darkens our hearts with guilt and shame and it brings this physical and emotional healing that happens. Forgiveness reaches into the past and it brings us healing to the here and now. So what do we do when we sin against someone? Well, first we ask for forgiveness from God himself first, privately, in prayer. And if you can't do it by yourself, bring a, ask a friend to come. Speak to a friend. Speak to a pastor. We'd love to be able to hear your words of confession and give you and announce God's grace and forgiveness to you just in our office, and it stays in there. We don't tell anybody else. And then after you receive that forgiveness, then you go to the one you sinned against, and you be real, and you're honest with them, and you say, don't blame anything or anyone else. You just say, I'm sorry. Please Forgive me. And you pray that they would forgive you. And if the person who wronged you is no longer alive or can't contact them because of whatever extenuating circumstances there are, maybe they're physically abusive, who knows, here's what you can do. Studies have shown that if you write things down, it brings about healing. So there's a few things you can do. Find a quiet place where you can write. Set a timer for just a short amount of time. You don't have to dwell on it too long, but then write a prayer to God about the person you've hurt and your need to be forgiven. And when you're finished, you can read it aloud. You can read it to a friend. You can read it to a pastor. You can burn it and crumple it up and throw it away because God knows where you're at. And he seeks to restore you to a wonderful relationship back to himself. And I realize this can be a really tough exercise. But think of the alternative. Unforgiveness can cause you physical harm, overeating, undereating, self-medicating, all kinds of addictive habits. Because maybe lack of forgiveness is the root of many struggles that you're going through right now. But that's why we call forgiveness a gift. It is. It's a gift that Jesus won for you on the cross, and he won it for me too. And that's awesome. So there doesn't have to be those ways that we self-medicate, filling up the emptiness with food or drugs or sex or alcohol, forgiveness allows us to stop being angry and hurting others out of pain. You see, forgiveness is part of who we are as children of God. We're called to live a life of forgiveness whether we like it or not. So I have a story to share, and uh, we just prayed for you, Pastor Elio. Uh, Pastor Elio got a flat tire coming this morning, but he's, Pastor Elio, would you please stand up, turn, and face the congregation? Would you welcome Pastor Elio here? I'm glad you made it. You're looking very sharp today. You can be seated. So Pastor uh, Elio has been a member of our congregation since 2010, probably, he came to Detroit in 2009 from New York, but before that, Bangladesh. 
We support him and his mission in Bangladesh. In 2012, I was there. In 2012, we visited uh, uh, three churches. There are 3,000 Christians that he helps to give spiritual support to. Now, you have to remember that in Bangladesh, 95% of that country is Muslim. About 4% is Hindu. Less than 1% really is, is Christian. Pastor Elio, a few years ago, sold his house, and he thought he was going to go back to Bangladesh with his wife, Mary. And as they got there, he, they got into some trouble. You, would, you might call it a terrorist attack, but it wasn't really a terrorist attack. I'll explain in just a minute. You see, in October of 2018, his wife, Mary, was clearing a parcel of land that was going to help establish their ministry to seniors. And out of nowhere, 10 attackers came with axes and metal rods and began to beat her almost to death. 10 attackers, Mary, three other people came to help. And when I say it, you almost would call it a terrorist attack, it wasn't Christianity versus Muslims. It wasn't Christianity and Islam. In fact, some of you in the women's group would know this story because you helped uh, support uh, Pastor Elio to get a plane ticket for Mary to come back over here. She can barely use one of her arms. It's still not fully functional. She can still walk. She can't walk, but with a cane. She was in a wheelchair for, for many, many months. You see, the problem was not Christianity Islam because some of her people that helped save her life were Muslims. Some of the people that attacked her were Christians. And not only that, they were members of her extended family. It was about greed. It was about land, property. And yet, Thursday night, I was over at Pastor Elio's apartment in Hamtramck. He lives in Hamtramck. Um, we had five, four pastors there, some of his staff for school. Mary was there facilitating the Skype conversation or the phone conversation as I was teaching these pastors. We're going to do that every month for the, this year. Mary's words to me, Pastor Tony, I forgive my attackers. And she wants reconciliation. Yet, some of her attackers are on the run. They're in hiding from the police of Bangladesh. They don't want reconciliation. Yet Mary has forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? You know how come Mary can do that? She knows how much she's been forgiven. And in a country where it's the poor, one of the poorest countries in the world, to be light within that country. Pastor Elio is here working because he supports Pretty much his job, he sends most of his money back home to support those 3,000 Christians and five pastors and three churches. We support him as well. But this is what God's forgiveness can do. And it's amazing thing. So Pastor Elio, thank you for being with us this morning. We appreciate you so much and we just lift you up in prayer. Amen. So let me ask you, who is it in your life that doesn't deserve forgiveness? Is it a coworker? Is it a family member? Is it a friend, a complete stranger? God's calling us to forgive that person. And let me encourage you, as I preach to myself, 
Because when I find out about this attack on Mary, oh, my blood was starting to boil. I couldn't believe it. Pretty much because it was Christians, nominal Christians, people who claim to be Christians, to attack. Really? I mean, the devil is in the middle of all of this, isn't he? As followers of, of Jesus, we can make the choice because really forgiveness is a choice we make. Forgiveness is a choice we make. Not based on our feelings because those feelings may never come. We can't be led by our feelings. Another aspect of this topic of forgiveness, I don't want to miss this. When we live a life of forgiveness, we put the best construction on all situations. We give people the benefit of the doubt. We speak well of them. When somebody sins against us, we go one-on-one. And then that's where it stays. It doesn't go out to the community. It isn't gossiped about. We make the choice to forgive and we look at them differently as if the sin didn't happen. Practically, how do we do this? I want to close with these. This acronym of CCA. CCAA. It's a four-step plan. You see it in the bulletin. But, but really, before we, we go through it, it's just real quickly, just a couple of ground rules. First, before we do it, we remember that God first provided forgiveness to us as a wonderful gift. That's what we remember first. Secondly, we kind of have to go through this in the order that it's written in, in these kinds of steps. And we all go through them differently in different times, and that's okay. So number one, it's contrition. And what does contrition mean? It means brokenheartedness. It means we seek to know a true sorrow over what we've done. Because if we're not sorry for it, it's hard to believe that you can be asking for forgiveness, right? In a spirit of sincerity. So a broken heart means looking inside our own hearts and saying, I have fallen short. I have done this. And I'm burdened by what happened. That's contrition. What do you do after that? Confess. You acknowledge. Because there's no good thing that happens when you harbor the sin in you. If you just keep it all in. If we bottle it, all, bottle it up, that guilt comes out in unhealthy ways. So say words, I'm sorry, please forgive me. It's a vehicle to newness in relationships. When we confess our sins against someone, it brings this relief. Step three is absolution. What's absolution mean? It means freedom. Just as important as being brokenhearted, acknowledging our wrongdoing, right? And then, and then confessing. Well, we receive. So one part says we look inward. The next part, we look outward. We look to the cross objectively. What has he truly done? He forgave our sins. Even while we were still sinners, even while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. Amen? It's a privilege that we receive to extend, to receive that freedom, and we never bring it up again. Paid in full. And then what happens after that? It's amendment. What's amendment means? It's just positive change. We say to amend means to change for the better. It follows after forgiveness. Amending is moving toward a positive direction, actively changing, saying, I don't want to do the same thing again. Contrition, confession, absolution, amendment. Which one of those is hardest for you right now? Which step are you stuck in with someone? Would you pray how you can move on to that next step? I pray each of you, myself included, God has forgiven us so much. Our sins are gone. Shame is gone. Guilt is gone. How then do we forgive others and be a blessing to others? Through Holy Spirit's power and God's word, I pray that you'd live a life of forgiveness. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, I thank you that as followers of your son Jesus, you give us this daily opportunity to put off that old self that clings to us and corrupts and put on the new self that you've called us to be, your righteousness, your children. Help us to be brokenhearted over our sin, Lord, as we look inside of our souls and we know that we've fallen short in our actions and in our deeds and what we've done and what we've failed to do. Help us to be like King David, who in the Psalms said against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Help us to acknowledge that we deserve your punishment. And then, Lord, help us to look outside of ourselves to the cross of your salvation, to receive that freedom from sin, sins gone, shame gone, guilt gone, to receive your pardon by your blood, Jesus. Thank you. And as we live a life of forgiveness, Lord, lead us to make those positive changes through your Holy Spirit who has sealed us in our baptism until the day you return or until the day you take us to be with you. And until that time, Lord, help us live. Live in that forgiveness. In Jesus' name, all God's people say.